A funny thing happened in the last few weeks, and it was this. For a number of years, I've been trying to get my mom to stop driving. She's going to be 84. And um, it's not that she's lost any her capacity to drive, but there are just so many weird people on the road who do, do weird things. And so I've been trying to encourage her, to, but I'm not going to force it. But these last few weeks as I've been at home, unable to drive, and getting bored out of my mind, I realized that when you don't, can't drive, you've lost your independence. And why it's so difficult for her to give up that desire to drive. I'm never going to tell her about it again. Um, it was a great lesson. Um, and so there are great lessons that come as you experience different things. And that's good. Father, as we speak, as we begin this year, would you be with us? Would you speak to us? Would your Holy Spirit be working in us? Would grace surround us and overwhelm us? Let life be in the things we say today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to ask you to really forgive me today because today is going to be so, so elementary that you might want to run out. But many, many years ago, some of you heard me say this, I was really impacted by uh, those who know, follow sport in any way, Jack Nicklaus. Anyone heard of Jack Nicklaus? The greatest golfer who ever lived, made, better than Tiger Woods. Won more championships, more golf tournaments. Um, at the height of his game, every year, he would go to his coach and he would say to him, would you teach me the game of golf? The coach would take him to the range and say, this is what you need to do. This is how you grip the club. This is how high you put the ball. This is how the swing works. And he would take him through all the basics of the golf game again. Every single year he would do that. To remind himself that unless we do the basics well, unless we get those, we can do all sorts of other things, but eventually we will get off kilter. He wanted to be reminded of the basics. And I wrote that in the email that I sent this week. Hopefully some of you got that. And so as we enter this year, we're taking three weeks to kind of remind ourselves of what does it mean for us to be a believer? What does it mean for us to be part of this community? What makes our community this community? What are the things that are important? And then lead us into a, teach, a series on the kingdom, which we're gonna, and we're going to teach through the Psalms. Oh, not the Psalms, the Proverbs. Not the Proverbs. Yeah, I'm still drugged out. The parables. <laughs> the, I'm still affected. Yeah, through the parables. We've chosen a number of parables that we'll talk through that speak about the kingdom, kingdom values, people of the kingdom, to teach us something of what Jesus wants to say. Jesus came saying, I come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. So what does that look like? And so we want to take these few weeks and talk about these things. So today I want to address the question briefly, what is a Christian? How's that? What is a Christian? Um... I've spent some time watching television the last four weeks in my boredom. I've got bored. I don't want to watch television anymore. I don't necessarily want to read anymore. I don't want to sit anymore. I don't want to lie down anymore. I need something else to do. But I've watched, so every now and then I'll flick to the Christian channels. And I'll hear about 12 of them and you flick through and it's like, oh my word. But I've tried to be... Kind of be objective and try to say, what, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to make judgment. I just want to hear and realize that often they all speak about Jesus. But often it's not the Jesus that I seem to know. It, might, it seems to be a different Jesus or 
a portrayal of a different Jesus. Now, I might be wrong and they might all be right. So it's forced me to want to go back to the text and say, what, who is this Jesus? What, is this, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? There are just so many of these views. And so I want to unpack a little bit, very simply, what I understand to be a Christian. So that we, at least we know we're on the same page, hopefully. Um, it's simply this. A Christian is someone whose life is rooted and centered in Jesus. Now we'll come, we'll unpack that a little bit. Um, you, you can't be a Christian without Jesus. Is that a fair statement? You can, you can embrace a set of principles. You can embrace theology. You can embrace teachings that of Jesus. But actually to be a Christian is to have received a person. The person of Jesus to have received eternal life, which is ultimately a person, not a set of principles, not even a theology, even though it's important and not a body of teaching. It's to receive a person. The person of Jesus. And I, I love that song we sang, Grace, the, the song about grace, because grace finds us when grace finds us. It's Jesus searching and he finds us in that very beginning. We have nothing to do with it. He comes and does something amazing. He presents life to us, a gracious life in himself. It's not he stands here and gives us something around the corner that's called eternal life. He gives us himself. And to be a Christian is to have this intimate, rooted, grounded, enraptured relationship with the man Jesus. Your theology might not be developed. You might not even know what he taught. But you can have been impacted by the man Jesus. Many in the Bible are impacted by the man Jesus. They don't necessarily know his teachings yet. They don't know all the verses. They haven't memorized that yet. But they were impacted by this man and who he presented himself to be. The grace that exuded from him and they accepted him for who he was. At the heart of the matter, that's what it means to be a Christian. Um, that text in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, the man who knew a lot of things. He was one of Israel's teachers. Jesus had to say to him, you're missing it. It's not about have you got this theology right and have you understood all the prophecies. It's you actually need to experience a spiritual rebirth. You've got to allow me to come in and Change things around a little bit. You've been born in the natural. Now you need to be born in the spiritual. Because what you're receiving is a whole new thing. And so, this sounds so silly. To go to church doesn't make you a Christian. To go to church and worship and listen to teaching. And to give. And to go to Bible doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you have surrendered your life. To the man, God, Jesus. We'll come to that again in a moment. You see, when you receive this person, this man, Jesus, and this is eternal life to receive a person, you receive eternal life, but it's a person, your life becomes a new life. You don't add Jesus to your life, and it, it's like, you know, Kind of, if you've seen Men in Black or whatever, the guy's standing there and there's a second person coming out of his shoulder. 
That's not what it means to be a Christian. There's you with Jesus coming out of your shoulder. To be a Christian is to be totally changed from the inside out where Jesus is at the very core, at the very center of who you are and he invades every aspect of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. You become a new person. If any person being Christ, they are a new creation. It's a whole new thing. It's not an addendum. It's not a little addition. It's a whole new ballgame that we experience. And when you receive this Jesus, this Jesus is part of a community. It's called Trinity. There's a Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. This interwoven, amazing set of relationships called the Trinity that Brian spoke so eloquently on last year. You need to listen to it again. I think I saw the book you had it here, the Trinity book. It's this beautiful relationship. And so when we receive Jesus and we receive this new life and we are born again and there's this ultimate change, we are added to a community. We are involved with a triune community and God adds us to his family, which we call the church. The church is not the people who go to a church building to hear teachings on Sundays. The church is those who have experienced this radical change, this spiritual rebirth, this newness of life. They are the called out ones from the old into the new and they come together to enjoy fellowship, to encourage, to stir, to worship. To all. That is the church. This is elementary. I think it's good that we be reminded of it because we, it's easy to forget. Um, <clears throat> you don't experience this new birth as an isolated thing. So now there are, how many of us in the room tonight? 30? 30 isolated beings who've experienced new birth. No, we are 30 human beings who Jesus has changed and put into one body. And that body expands the whole world. And it goes for those who have already died, those who have come, it's called the church. But God, in His incredible wisdom, puts us in a family so that we can work it out. This is a family and in this great body, this great church of Jesus. Now, if you want to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read four verses and I'm going to read the last verse of the book. I love 1 John. 1 John is the last book written in the Bible. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. But 1 John is reckoned to be the last book written in the Bible. And so if you, if you think about it, here's John, the guy who also wrote the Gospel of John that Heidi read from. Here's John, he's an old man, he's somewhere in his 90s maybe. All his contemporaries have died. All the apostles have been persecuted and martyred and they're all dead. Here, here he is, he's been exiled. Uh, legend says they try to kill him by boiling him, but he didn't die. So he's been exiled, he's a, he's a pain in the world's rear end. Um, and he's coming to the end of his life and he decides to write a, a letter to the church. 
It's a, it's, if you read it in that light, it's a beautiful letter. It's the last words of a living apostle saying, guys, this stuff is important. That which was from the beginning, and ties into John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manif- manifest to us. Do you see that the, the life that was made manifest was a person? It wasn't a principle. It was a person. The person of Jesus. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And what John is writing here is saying, this Jesus that we have presented to you is not some ethereal being. It's not some ghost. This is a real person. This is a human being who the Father sent to come to the earth, to incarnate. And we did that all as we did Advent. To live a life that represented us well, to take upon us that price that should have been upon, he takes upon us so that we can have this new eternal life in him and become these new beings. He's a human being. He can be touched. He can be felt. He can be experienced. John was the one who laid his head on his breast. This was a real relationship. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he did not give up his humanity. He didn't go from human to spook, to ghost. He's a human being. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. His, his scars are still visible. When he comes back again, he's coming back as a human being, but in a glorified body to take us to be with him and to see us changed. But we will still be human. Jesus is forever human. He's God, but he's forever human. So he's the God who can be experienced. And John writing here, after all the people that physically walked with Jesus are dead, he's the last one. He's saying, this Jesus that I present to you is the Jesus that can be known. He can be experienced. And therefore, as we grow in our Christianity, say, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. And we're going to find out what that looks like for us as we grow. We can know this Jesus. I won't unpack that anymore. But if you go to the very last verse of John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, it feels like in a little, he's written and closed the letter and suddenly he puts this little line in. This is the last words written in this apostolic era. Little children. Remember, he's a father, an old man writing to the church with this deep affection. When you read it, it's such deep affection for the church. Little children. Keep yourselves from... Idols. That's how he ends this letter. I want to propose to you. Now, they've been thinking about this for about three months now, maybe two months. That it's possible that we have made Jesus into an idol. I'm going to unpack that in a moment. That we have made the Father into an idol. That we've made the Holy Spirit into 
an idol. What's an idol? Anyone? Something you put before God? Okay. Sorry? Something you create with your own hands? Basically, an idol is when we shape God in our image, in the way that we think God should be. Whether we physically make that a golden calf, or spiritually we make it the Jesus we think that Jesus should be. And I want to propose that often we are worshipping an idol. That we love the idea of a father figure. But actually, do we want to know the father? Do we really serve and worship and have given our lives to the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, Jesus of Nazareth, the robust human God come in human flesh? Or do we like the idea of a Jesus that just floats above the ground, that does great things for people, gave us some great bodies of teaching, and somehow is mystical in the air and we sort... Or do we worship the Jesus who is real, that can be experienced? And do we like, do we want to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit as 2 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks about? Or do we just like the idea of the, the Holy Spirit as a sort of powerful being that kind of every now and then does a healing, does a this, does a that? Do we want to know the Holy Spirit? Now I'm proposing that, I'm not saying, but he started with this, the reality of who Jesus is and he ends, guys, don't, don't worship idols. The rest, of the, body, the rest of this book is him unpacking the fact that Gnosticism and all these things have crept into the church which have separated the physical from the spiritual. And everything's become the spiritual thing rather than the reality that Jesus came in the flesh and lived in the flesh. So I want, I want us for this year, as we grow, say, for us to be followers of Jesus, we are following a real person. Now, he might be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and we can't see him with these physical eyes currently. But he is a God who can be experienced. He is a God who can be loved and cared for. We can, he can touch our lives. And you might say, how, how, how do we do that? Well, that's another question. We'll get to that. But I want us to just be aware that we serve a real God, a real Jesus, not some airy, fairy something. This is real. It's robust. It's gritty. And we figure it out together. And when this Jesus who's real wants to love on you, what does he do? He sends someone from the body to love on you. Because the robustness of Jesus' life is experienced with us. He is the head, we are the, the body. It's robust. It's really powerful. So, everyone okay?
So how do we, how do we, how do we come into touch with this Jesus? I mean, at, at a very basic level, it's learning that we trust Him and we choose Him. In many ways, it's faith and repentance. Those words. We trust and we choose. In the, in the light of His grace being revealed, His grace finding us, Him showing His unbelievable personhood and His love and His care and His kindness, we respond to that and say, yes, Jesus, we will trust you. I love the word faith. Anyone like the word faith? But in some ways, it's a word that's kind of meandering around as well. It's like, I've got faith. I believe. But that guy came to Jesus one time. He said, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And so I would say for most of us, there's a place we do believe. But we want to We want to believe. I want to every day learn to trust Jesus. I have a deep faith in who Jesus is, that he has saved me, all those things. But every day I want to extend myself to trust him. Every day I want to extend myself to choose him above all else. At the very foundation, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But I want that to be experienced every single day. Therefore, every single day I exercise my ability to trust him i want to trust him with this i want to trust him with that i want to is that is that fair enough and i therefore i choose to put him first i choose for him to be involved in my life the question out of that song of grace is do you put yourself in the place for god's grace to find you today do you put yourself in the place for god's grace to find you tomorrow His grace finds us. But there's also the place where we step and say, God, find me. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own. No one can boast. It's this amazing thing that Jesus has done. Peter, standing after Pentecost a few days later, saying, there's no other name by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to expect there's something. This is a different life altogether. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, there's a new life. There's newness. You're a whole new creation. The old is gone. This is a new thing. Out of that grace, we flow as as brothers and sisters under this this great Jesus and we extend this grace we receive and give grace continually all day every day don't you like that did Jesus not come into the world to judge the world isn't that quite an astounding verse but to save it I don't come into your life to judge you I come into your life to extend grace toward you and you toward me Whoever wrote the, the quote that's one of my favorites now, grace is the face that love wears when it comes into contact with imperfection. So when Jesus intersects with your imperfection, his love is, is demonstrated through his grace. Not through his harshness, not through his judgment, through his grace. 
Grace is the face that love wears when it faces, comes face to face with imperfection. That's what a Christian is. It does go on in Philippians say we've got to work out the salvation now with fear and trembling. You've got to work it out. You know, and so that's a whole other story. We'll cover that, talk about that a little bit next week. And that's where you pick up that other great quote, which is grace is opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. You've got to work it out. If you don't work it out, you just stay an infant. So the writer of the Hebrews at the end of wherever, chapter 5, 6, wherever he's saying, man, I want you to grow from the elemental things of Christ. I mean, gotta, yeah, you've got to work this out, grow up. You've got to work it out. See, I love having babies in the church. So Imogen is just beautiful at the moment because she's this perfect picture of what it means to be a new believer. She whinges and whines and cries and needs food and a change. And we all run her down. Ooh, it's so gooey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same when someone gets saved in the church. I remember getting saved. Everyone made such a fuss of me. It was so wonderful. And then one day they stopped because they were expecting me to grow up and make a fuss of someone else. And I didn't quite like that. Because comes a time where you actually should dress yourself. You know? It comes a time you should actually feed yourself. You know those type of things? It was the same in the church. You've got to work this out. You've got to grow up. And it's not all gooey-gooey as it was in the beginning. Sometimes that becomes robust. You've got to deal with relationships. And you said stupid things when you were a new believer, and everyone just said, oh, it's going to be okay. And then three years later, you say the same stupid thing, and they say, no, unacceptable. But it was acceptable then. Yeah, but you should be growing up. Work out the salvation. I want to cha- say that I think you work it out by the way that you live a life of love. They ask Jesus, What's the, what can you, you love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. There's three elements of love there. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And the Bible says you should love your spouse, you should love your enemy, love one another, and do everything in love. Kind of we screwed. It's all about love. That's it. Growing up, that's the test. All right, I'm nearly finished. Elementary enough? So the church, which so many people are bailing from in this day and age, people are bailing by the gazillions out of the church. But really the church is the gathering of these new persons in Christ. That's what the church is. It's the gathering of the new persons in Christ. Uh, It's gathering into this new family. In specific areas. And um, it's where we're meant to live this kingdom life. This kingdom life that Jesus presents to us. Which you can't do by yourself. So we need one another to stir us and help us along and correct us and stand with us and all those things that's why the church is so important it's reminding us to daily trust Jesus as the king and make him the center let him invade every area of your life not just kind of spiritual side every area let him invade every area of your life because he wants to but he won't impose 
church is here to remind us to do that. Because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get so in our, caught up in our heads, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our whatever. We get just so get so caught up that we forget sometimes. And we come alongside each other and say, Heidi, remember Jesus. Oh, yeah, remember Jesus. We need that. I need that. I needed someone to come knock on my door these last two weeks and say, in your boredom and your frustration, remember Jesus. It's what the church is about. It's not about how fancy our meetings are. It's not about that at all. It's about how we live as the body of Christ under the Lordship of Jesus. It's a community of grace. When, you, when you've screwed up, you can actually come and no one's going to judge you. You're going to help. You know, we've done such a bad job at that, at the church in general, and I'm sure we have as a community. But we need to become this community of grace and grow and see what it means and have grace for one another. But that grace doesn't say, oh, it gets fine, Heidi. Yeah, it's okay. No, you better change. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus said this when he began his ministry. He walked along the seaside and he saw some guys, fishermen, and his words to them were, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Is that what he said? So at the heart of what Jesus, Jesus is called to each one of us, and he's called to actually the world, which he's come to love and not to condemn, but to save it, is come, follow And I'll make you into something. I'll make you into something you never expected. The call for Jesus for each one of us is come, come follow, and I'll make you into something. And then at the end, his closing words are, go, into all the world and make disciples. So we're just extending that ministry in our lives. And as we go, as we go into our world, we go with an authority in Jesus to call people to follow him. And so part of what we want to do this year is remind us that people don't come to the churches because we have great programs or great this or great that. I mean, of course, our last Sunday in December, people will come because our choir was awesome. No, people come because we, as the disciples of Jesus, go into our world with the love of Christ and we touch people's lives and we see them changed and get added. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to encourage each one of us to. That actually each one of us have a responsibility in Jesus to continue the ministry of Jesus. And that's to love people wherever you're at with the love of Jesus and make disciples. And that's another part to be unpacked sometime. It's not for the chosen few that do that. It's for every believer. Where you go through your temperament, your personality, your giftedness, your job, your whatever. You go and you love people. And you extend grace to people. And you're not shocked by their sin. 
You are gracious toward them. I want us to pray this year that God will add people to our church. I said, I want to believe God that God will add five families to our church. Brian said, no, more than that. I said, yes, five at least I can try and come to terms with. Can we believe that God will add to our church? Not because we want a big church, but because the body of Christ grows and the command to us is to make disciples and see them added to the body. So can we, can we join in and begin to believe that God can use us to add to His church? There are gifts that are not been operating at the moment because everybody knows everybody. It's hard to have a word of wisdom or word of knowledge or prophetic word when you know everybody. Can we believe that God will add people to the church through you, through me, through each one of us? It's not now wake up tomorrow morning with this angst. <gasps> no, just as you go, as you allow Jesus in your life, the robust Jesus, the relationship that you know Him, as that flows in you, as you go, you in. Not a program. A life. Can this year we believe that how we live matters? How we conduct our lives matters. It's not an optional extra. The life of Christ is reflected in the way that we live. The closest thing that I can find to seeing that is the fruit of the Spirit. That those things become evidenced in our lives. That we have become more loving, more joyous, more kind, more generous, more long-suffering, etc. They begin to flow out of our lives rather than, no, as you... Oh, with Jesus, allow the Spirit, these things, fruit begins to grow. I'll leave the other one for the moment.